Hey folks, Joey Hernandez. Thanks so much for joining me today. Now, I mentioned in an earlier podcast that in many ways I consider the closing of gay bars and specifically dance clubs as being something that easily went along with my own transition period into becoming an older guy and putting my weekly dancing into my past. But not everyone feels that way. Certainly not my own friends that are of similar age to me, somewhere in their 50s and early 60s. Those are the people that I hear complain about missing the gay scene, including dancing, neighborhood after-work bars, and leather bars. So let's talk about these changes that have affected both the older gay community, but also those who are young and at the same age that we were when we did all that partying. So, my name is Joey Hernandez, and this is What Happened to Gay Bars, the eighth episode of An Older Gay Guy Show. Now, in case this podcast happens to be found in some time capsule thousands of years from now, I'm just going to state that this is being recorded in 2016. But back in 1972, when I was 14 years old, the drinking age in Boston, and I assume probably the majority of the country, was 18 years old. And back then also... You didn't see a lot about drunk driving, people drank, people drove, people had accidents, all of that. But it wasn't as big a thing as it is today. And even though the drinking age was 18, a lot of places didn't card you. Primarily the dance clubs would, the gay dance clubs and I assume straight clubs as well. But for the neighborhood bars that you just kind of go in for a drink after work or you might go on a Friday or Saturday night just to kind of hang out and meet people, well, they didn't card. So I started at age 14 going into gay bars in Boston. Now, I lived out in a suburban town that it was about um, a half an hour from Boston if you took the train in. Um, This wasn't the subway. This was a commuter rail train. And my father had died when I was 12. I've mentioned that before. And it was just my mother and myself in my house. And my mother was ill. And my mother also drank quite a bit. So she was kind of out of it a lot of the time. And I was free to do whatever I wanted to do. So at age 14, I started taking the train from my hometown and I have to walk like a half hour to the train station from my house. Obviously I couldn't drive. I was 14 and I would take the commuter train into Boston and then I would just, um, walk to this particular gay bar and they always let me in. They, I have the feeling knew that I was underage because I would meet people and I'd talk to them about my age and a 14-year-old walking into a gay bar, um, even back then, was like a magnet for every creep and bizarre guy that existed in the world. So I had kind of gathered a group of 
regulars that were in there and they knew me and they knew my age and they looked out for me, which was kind of cool. But even though I could get in there at 14, this was a, a real divey local bar. Um, just a watering hole. There was no dancing. I can't even remember there being music played. There probably was. I just don't remember it. But even though I could get into these bars when I was 14, when I was 15, when I was 16, I always dreamed of the day that I could start going to the dance clubs because I very much wanted to dance. I figured a younger, better crowd would probably be at those kinds of places rather than this neighborhood dive. So I anxiously awaited my 18th birthday and I turned 18 just before college and I started going to this very popular bar in Boston. It was called the 1270 and it was called that because the address was 1270 Boylston Street in Boston. It was a multi-level club. It had uh, three levels plus a rooftop deck and it was really popular primarily college kids. If you went there after Labor Day in September, it would be all college kids and myself included. I was a college freshman. So I really got into this club. And at that point, my mother had passed away. So I was completely on my own. And I used to go out at least four nights a week, maybe even five nights a week. And some of my happiest memories are of that time because this was the mid to late seventies and it was disco era time. Um, 1977 was when the Bee Gees and, uh, the movie Saturday night fever hit. So everybody started doing those dances that were in the movie. It's kind of cringe worthy now when I hear the music or when I see a film about it. But at the time, you know, that was the modern thing to do. And I jumped on the bandwagon along with everyone. And I found out once I was able to get into this dance club that there were in fact many clubs in Boston. There was about 26 clubs and these were the neighborhood bars. These were the dance clubs. Um, they were mixed clubs with gay and straight. Those were primarily ones that had drag shows. We had a drag show bar. We had a piano bar and, um, there were leather cruising bars and there were also a couple lesbian bars. And let me tell you, the lesbian thing <laughs> really ticked me off to no end. And if I have any lesbian listeners at the moment, let me tell you back in the seventies, when y'all had your own clubs, there was one called the other side, meaning obviously the other side of the gay community. And men were not allowed to go into that bar unless you were a guest of one of the females. And if you in fact did go in with one of the females, you would be glared at and made to feel so uncomfortable that you didn't want to stay. Even though they had an awesome dance floor. They had fucking amazing music, but men were shunned. Now that's probably still the case today. There are probably bars that are only for females, but in today's politically correct world, in today's 
world of where people sue each other and they sue businesses constantly. Um, I don't think legally you're allowed to exclude someone like that. So back through the 70s and then definitely through all the way through the 80s, um, I'd say even into the early 90s up to about 95, we had tons of gay bars in Boston. And you could, on a Friday or Saturday night, skip around to like 15 different bars. It was amazing. This, of course, was pre-internet. And let's face it, the internet completely changed the entire gay world. Now, of course, the period of time where I'm talking, which is through the 70s and into the early 80s, that was pre-AIDS. That was before everybody knew about that. Um, it was around, but they hadn't come out with a name for it. They hadn't figured out how it was transmitted. So it was kind of still unknown. And the things we did hear about were far, far away from us. It wasn't the people that we knew yet. As much as I enjoyed the dance clubs and I was there regularly, probably the hottest thing for me was the leather cruising bars. Um, I've always had a thing for that. I started lifting weights and building my body when I was just out of high school. So I was already two, three, four years into it when I started going to the leather cruising bars on a regular basis. And I'd wear a leather jacket. I'd have no shirt, so my abs and my chest would show. I'd have uh, black jeans, black boots. Um, I had different hats that I would wear. And uh, we had one bar that was called Ramrod. And I think that's probably a very common name for bars, the Ramrod. I think there's several in the United States. I think there's one in San Francisco, although I've never been to San Francisco. And I believe there are some in Canada and in Europe as well. But anyway... We had that bar, and the best part of that was that it had an area where you first come in, you'd check your coat, there was a long bar where you could sit, have a drink, talk to people, they had TV monitors with videos on, but the best part, the very best part, was they had a second half of it where you had to be dressed in leather in order to get into there. So it was super hot. You would get in there, it would be low lights, it would be house music playing with a good thumping beat, and people would be cruising each other. They had barrels set up so that you kind of had to go in and out between these different barrels. And they had people in all these different areas standing against the wall or having a seat on a ledge. And there were areas in the bar that were darker than others. So, you know, there would be spotlights coming down where there would be a lit area and there'd be shadowed areas around it. And not surprising, and I'm sure because of the, um, because of the hashtags that I tweet to about this podcast, I know there's a lot of leather daddy bear guys that are on here. And I, I know you would know exactly what I'm talking about and how hot this was and that People were able to do some stuff in the shadows. The management of the bar would look the other way. Oh, fuck, that was hot. Oh, man, that was so hot, 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 hot. That ended, I guess, I want to say just about 10 years ago. Up until then, it was still, they were still trying to get a crowd in there. But after time, I think um, 
it just kind of fizzled out. And one of the reasons that that back room situation changed, and again, I'm going to speak to my lesbian listeners, there would always be women. They would come into the bar with guys. I mean, you didn't have to be with a guy to come in, but it just wasn't the kind of bar that a woman would go into by herself or with a group of friends. And the guys would go into the back room and the women would want to go into the back room. And there was somebody policing the entrance to it and no, you, you can't go in. You're not dressed properly. Da, da, da. Uh, the other option to wearing leather, if you wanted to do, is you could take your shirt off and just kind of tuck it in your jeans and be shirtless. So that was an option that a lot of guys did. So sure enough, there were women that uh, said, well, I'll take my shirt off. I'll take my bra off. Although they probably weren't wearing bras. And, uh, then I can go in and like, of course the management would be like, no, you can't expose your breasts in a public bar like this. And, you know, I think after, after a certain amount of time with that happening repeatedly, plus the fact that the patrons were beginning to be less going out because the internet was around because people had started getting into meth. The whole thing fizzled out after a while, this back room situation because um, they couldn't control it any longer to have it just the guys um, going in there, and there wasn't enough to make it viable to bother having security there and everything. So once that fizzled out, the whole point of going to this bar kind of fizzled out. Uh, it's still there today, as far as I know, it's still there today. I haven't been for uh, two or three years but um, I believe it's still there. I don't think they've ever been able to go back to that backroom situation. Although if they do, I might be going again. Now, I have to take a couple minutes to tell you about the first time I ever went to New York City. I had never been before 1987, actually. Um, for whatever reason, as I was growing up and all, you know, I was going out in Boston certainly having a really good time going down to Provincetown, which is the big gay resort that is just about an hour and a half away from Boston. But for whatever reason, I had never been to New York. Now, you know that a lot of us gay guys, <laughs> this is true now, right? A lot of us gay guys have female friends. They're usually one or two of them that fall in love with us. These women might or might not be somewhat overweight, but they are our companions. They're our best friends. They are the people that we always do everything socially with. We take them along with us. Uh, so I had one of these women. Her name was Anna. To this day, she is my, my best friend, and she was my best woman at my wedding a few months ago. So we had met in 1986. I was working for a bank, and she was working for the same bank, and that's how we initially met. And we got to be really close, and come 1987, at Christmas time, I had said, you know, why don't we drive down to New York City, and we'll spend, like, a day before Christmas there, we'll spend uh, Christmas Eve, we'll do something nice, we'll go out to dinner, 
Christmas Day we'll hang out and then we'll drive home like Christmas night. And she's like, oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So I got all these cassette tapes ready, right? That's what was around at the time, cassette mix tapes. And um, started playing that. And New York City is a four-hour drive from Boston if you drive the speed limit, which I notoriously always do. I am a freak about it. So we drive down to New York City. We were staying at a Howard Johnson's hotel. I don't think they exist anymore, but it was a moderately priced place. Nothing fancy. Two big double beds in the room. And we started doing different things socially in New York, but it was cold. It was Christmas. There was snow. So it wasn't like we could do Central Park very much or, you know, we didn't even go to museums. We kind of walked the streets, went in the stores, hung out in Times Square a little bit uh, because that was right near our hotel. But the whole point of going to New York this trip for me was because I wanted to go to a New York dance club. Because I figured, you know, we'd been to all the Boston ones and we went to some down in Providence, Rhode Island. And I just figured, you know, if these smaller cities had the kind of clubs we did, I can just fucking imagine what fucking New York would be like. So we drive down, we get into our hotel the first night and uh, it's a Friday. So you got to hit the club right away, Friday night. But I hadn't done any research, you know, the, the internet obviously wasn't around at the time and I didn't have any newspapers from any of the New York area to know what the clubs were. And we were staying in a straight hotel, so it's not like I could go down to the front desk and ask. So I'm trying to figure out like, all right, how the fuck are we going to find out about the clubs? So I, I think, okay, I'm going to look in the telephone book under gay and that, you know, alphabetically, and there's bound to be something gay, Lord knows what. So the only thing I could find was a gay hotline. So I call it up and I'm like, yeah, so me and me and this girl came down from Boston and we want to go partying in New York at a, at a really hot gay nightclub. Uh, where should we go? And the person on the phone's like, I have no fucking idea. This is a, like a, a suicide hotline. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I said, but I can't find out from anybody else. Could, could I talk to somebody else? And they passed me on to somebody else. And I asked the same questions. And they're like, I don't know where to go. So we're like, okay, cool. No problem. So I say, okay, well, I've heard of Greenwich Village. Let's just go down to Greenwich Village. I'm sure once we're there, we'll find a club. So we go down to Greenwich Village on Christopher Street. We're walking back and forth on the street and like, I don't see any gay clubs or any gay bars. It's like really weird. And then we saw some, uh, guys that were headed in one direction and you know, they seemed gay. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's just follow them. And we ended up at this place that was like a piano bar upstairs and it was a, a dance club downstairs, but it had a wicked low ceiling to it. Like, I'm 5'10", and this ceiling couldn't have been more than like six and a half feet high or something. Um, and we spent the evening there, but I didn't find out from anybody any other clubs to go to. So, like, that was the extent of our trip down there. We went there Friday night, we went back the next night, and then uh, then we headed back on Christmas Day. On Christmas Eve, we went out to uh, dinner at tavern on the green in central park new york 
And this is a really nice restaurant. It's, um, has a lot of glass walls to it. And there's a patio that's all lit with pretty little lights in the trees. And, uh, you know, it's winter, so you can't really sit out there, but it was cool to walk around. And we went into, um, this room called the crystal room, which is big, huge chandeliers and, you know, very high end restaurant. So we're seated. This is Christmas Eve dinner and it's about 11 PM at night. And she's sitting facing in one direction. I'm sitting facing the opposite direction. We're across from each other at a table. And she leans over to me and says, you'll never guess who's at the next table. And so I, I turned and there was this big circular table of about 12 people and it was Prince, the singer. And he was there with, um, Sheena Easton and Sheila E and a few other people. And then the, the little entourage, but he wasn't eating anything. So my back is to the table and my friend Anna's facing the table and she's watching everything that's going on. And I, I keep turning around to look and she's like, don't turn around. Don't turn around. It's going to be too obvious. Don't turn around. So I'm like, I want to see him, you know? So like I'm spinning around and then just after midnight, Oh, he, he wasn't eating anything. And what he was doing, he had on these white gloves and he had on like a black, um, tux tails coat with these big, huge white buttons down it, like huge white buttons. And he had on white gloves and he had a little shrimp fork and he was feeding shrimp to the ladies at his table, leaning over and giving them, he wasn't eating anything. So just after midnight, they, they get up from the table and, um, they're going out through a side door rather than going back through the restaurant. And he clasps his hands behind his back and just kind of does this little swagger walk back and forth with his tails and everything. So that was really cool. Let me just flash forward a few years later. It was uh, two years later. And a buddy and I were down in New York. This was actually the very next time I was down in New York. Still, it was like uh, two or three years later. And we would go back to the tavern on the green and we happened to be seated in the uh, crystal room again. So the maitre d' you know, seats us and is handing us our menu and saying the waiter will be right along. And, and I said, I, excuse me, can I just ask you a question? I said, I was in here a couple Christmas Eves ago and seated over at that table, and I pointed to the big circular table, I said, Prince was here with Sh uh, Sheena Easton, and, and then the maitre d' said, yeah, and Sheila E. and a bunch of other people. He said, I was working that night. It was Christmas Eve. And I said, yeah, 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 that was it. So typical, like, tourist, right? <laughs> My second time in New York. So I say to him, um, so is there, like, anybody famous here in the restaurant tonight? And he leans forward and goes just you, sir. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you just got a big ass tip. Thanks. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not so unusual for somebody to say, but I thought it was a pretty, pretty fucking impressive line. So that second trip down to New York with my buddy, uh, we did find clubs, but, um, when Anna and I went down that first time, when, once we got back to Boston, people like, how come you didn't go to tunnel tunnels really great. It just opened da, da, da. and I'm like, uh, cause I didn't know about it. <laughs> so I've only been to New York, um, probably what, maybe f three or four other times since then. So I've only been to New York a half a dozen times. 
So then here in Boston, I guess it was about 20 years ago when, when bars just started to fold because of lack of business and what they did for a while, um, I, I, I guess they probably still do it. I, I'm just not involved in it anymore, but they would be popular straight clubs and they would have a gay night sometimes once a week, sometimes once a month. And, um, a lot of people would go to that, but it would tend to be a lot of the younger people going out to that because it was a movable thing and you never knew where it was. And the times that I did go, when you have a straight bar and they have a gay night, they tend to use the same bartenders. They tend especially to have the same security people. And a lot of them are just not very welcoming to gay clientele. Uh, a lot of the gay guys felt very uncomfortable, very intimidated. If they got too sloppy drunk, um, they kind of felt like they were kind of rough handled a little bit too much when kicked out of the club. So, um, those weren't very popular and I think there's only a couple of them now, but as for full-time gay places, we have a place called the alley, which is just a neighborhood bar cruise bar kind of thing. Um, they just have pool table, music, karaoke once a week. Uh, another place called Club Cafe, which is a restaurant, but also a dance bar in the back. That's a place that has a Sunday tea dance, which is what I do like to go to because they play music a little bit more in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, and it tends to be somewhat of an older crowd. Although, to be honest with you, um, a lot of younger people including younger straight people have been invading that place a lot. Uh, my husband and I have gone out the last two New Year's Eves there, and uh, it it was hard to find gay people that were in that club, quite honestly. I know there were some, but um, I didn't run into a single person I knew on either of those nights, and there was just a lot, a lot, a lot of straight people there. And then there's this new place called Cathedral Station, which is also a restaurant I don't think it's a dance bar. I'm not sure. I've never actually been there. And then out in a suburban part of Boston, it's still technically in the city, but it's in a neighborhood called Dorchester. There's a uh, place called D bar and that's a full-time restaurant bar. And they do have dancing a couple nights on the weekends, but it's not very popular. It's, you know, it's more of a dinner and go have drinks kind of place. But what tends to really fucking piss me off is that my housemates, my friends, my clients who are in their 50s, early 60s, when clubs do have a big thing, like a fundraiser, one of the gay places especially, you know, the places that do stay open seven days a week as a gay establishment, when they have large fundraisers and there's a lot of people that go, including people our age, my friends and housemates, you know, for all their moaning and groaning that, oh, there's no gay clubs anymore, and there's nothing to do on the weekends anymore, you know, sit around on the computer, big fucking deal. And so, like, I'll say, hey, you know, this is going to be this, this big party at, at Club Cafe on uh, Saturday night. What do you say we all go? Oh, I don't know. I'm kind of tired. And I don't know. I can't drink because then I'd have to take the subway home. I'm like, oh, fuck. Stop fucking moaning and groaning that there isn't a place to go that when there is, you won't give your business to them so that maybe we can build it up again, right? No, not even close. So 
for all the moaning and groaning, I, I start to lose my patience after a while. But what I want to know from you, my dear listeners, is wherever you are, whatever country, whatever state, whatever city, I would like to know if what's been happening in Boston with all the closings and all of that, is that just like a Boston thing? Because Boston is kind of a somewhat conservative city. We have a lot of colleges. I think we have the most colleges of anywhere in the United States, like 96 colleges or something. So there's a lot of young people that will do stuff, but the older population, it, it just doesn't act as a community anymore, really. Like one time a year at the gay pride parade, most people tend to drag themselves out. But other than that, no. Is that something that happens in your place of living as well? Have bars been closing? Do you see new ones opening up? If there are clubs that are currently open, are they any of them geared towards the older population of 40 and over, or are they all for the young 20-year-olds? I want to know what's going on. How you reach me? Good question. You can send me an email at anoldergayguyshow at gmail.com. That's my email address. You can send me any kind of message you want and say hi. But I really want to know about clubs where you are and if they're closing. Meanwhile, this is Joey Hernandez. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I really do appreciate it. Please subscribe. That way there you're going to be notified whenever a new episode comes out. And also, I would love you if you'd give me a five-star rating on iTunes. I would love you forever and ever. Meanwhile, I shall be back very soon with another hopefully tantalizing podcast. I wish you a great weekend. Thank you, my brothers and sisters. Later, guys. <laughs>